Hello and welcome to episode 83 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. We are privileged once again to be reaching into the ranks of the 3252 to be speaking tonight with one of the born and bred LAFC faithful. Tonight, we are graciously joined by Mr. Al Hopkins. You know him as Coach Alexi on Instagram and Culver City Al on Twitter, where he's constantly giving grief to the Carson foes and repping the black and gold. Mr. Al, sir, welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate being here, guys. Enjoy your show. Joining me as always, Chris Christian as well, too, from our S2S pod fam. Boys, good evening. Welcome. How are we doing tonight? Everything's good, man. Everything's good. Another week gone by. Things are good. I got my first vaccine yesterday from work. My company was gracious enough to be able to provide that for us. And uh, my shoulder's really sore, but everything else is good. Happy to have Al on. These are some of my favorite episodes, actually, is when we get fans from... Uh, just the LAFC community, not necessarily front office personnel or players. It's, you know, we all get to geek out and be over the top about how much we love LAFC. I'm doing well. And it's very fitting that a week with a lot of news, we have a fan. Usually fans are more passionate than some of the other interviews and more candid too. So looking forward to hearing what Al has to say about some of the news and also what his story is and what we're all looking forward to in this upcoming 2020 one more optimistic year. Well, thank you once again, Al, for joining us. With that, we'll go ahead and dive into the news and notes portion of today. But Al, once again, we just wanted to say thank you for joining us, and it's our pleasure to have you, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys. Love your show. Love all the stories. So I'm just excited to be here. So thank you. First item, I think the hottest topic in the last week that was announced, uh, Real SoCal, no more. It's LAFC SoCal Youth. For those that are in the Valley, like we are, or near the Valley, for those that don't know, in the rest of the LA area or surrounding counties, Real SoCal was, and now LAFC SoCal will be, one of the biggest and more prominent uh, youth soccer clubs, usually U.S. ranked. They win a lot of state cups, national cups, 4,000 youth members, ages 4 through 19. Former members that have recently turned pro, Adam Saldana. Unfortunately, he played for the Galaxy at one point, but he was on the U.S. U19. Brandon Vincent with the Chicago Fire. Eric Calvillo with the San Jose Quakes, Wilson Harris with Kansas City, JJ Koval with San Jose and Sacramento. So huge news. What do you guys feel in hearing this news? Let's jump it off to you, Chris. I'm excited. I think I'm excited for several reasons. I mean, Real SoCal has always been a staple in the San Fernando Valley growing up. You'd always see cars driving around with the blue bad, the Real SoCal and Pierce College. They'd always have their practices at Pierce College and stuff like that. And I just remember seeing that growing up. So when I moved out here to Santa Clarita, I found out that there was a Real SoCal Santa Clarita branch. And so I actually just started getting my son Gabriel into their youth development program. He had just turned six in February. And and so he's a 2015 and he just was finally able to play. And so he'd only been in for like three weeks and now boom, this news comes that they've been transitioned over to LAFC SoCal youth, which it's like, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I love it. And it, it couldn't be a better thing. I told Gabriel, yesterday when the news broke and he was just like, I'm going to be playing for LAFC. And it's like, uh, well, technically, but no, not really, you know, but it's, it's just the idea that he's just excited that he gets to wear the black and gold, hopefully one day, if he, you know, ever makes a team and develops and stuff like that. And it's just, it's, it's exciting for sure. Well, our guest tonight happens to be a youth soccer coach. 
So I'm very curious, Al, to hear your opinion about this merger as a person who is hands-on working with the next generation of footballers here in the Southland. It's very exciting for LAFC to get involved in club soccer. You know, obviously the pay-to-play, the difficulty and barriers of getting enough kids going out there. So, you know, I still have to learn a little bit more about it, but anything that LAFC gets involved in, they seem to put a lot of thought and care. And, you know, like Chris just said about his kid getting to wear LAFC and go out there and play, you know, and get some guidance from the coaches and the training staff. And so it's, it just sounds like an overall positive. So I was speaking to some people today about this, both people involved in Real Socal and people involved in LAFC in the 3252. And every single person that I spoke to who either, you know, has a child in this program or has previously had a child go through this program was more than happy to hear that LAFC was stepping in. The, at the onset, it's curious to see what the financial investment is going to be. We know that pay-to-play is an issue. It keeps a lot of people who can't afford to play in these games out. And is LAFC going to find a way to ease the burden on families, particularly low-income families, and how their participation is going to pan out. That portion of it we haven't seen any details on, so curious. We know that typically Real Socal has been open to elite prospects and players, but maybe not necessarily as embracing of the generic public that just want to play. So are they going to be expanding the program? What are the financials going to look like? Are the first two hurdles I think LAFC is going to have to navigate in this? But more importantly, and I think the underlying fact for LAFC first team is that we essentially just signed 4,000 players to our academy. And every single one of those players is local to Los Angeles. And the magnitude of that, to me, at the onset, is massive. That is such a huge thing for this club when you think about the potential that could come from those 4,000 youth participants. That could mean a lot of talent, talent that, as Christian clearly pointed out, has currently and historically head down a little bit further south than us. So any chance to see that talent running through our team and not running to another team, this pipeline, the fact that it works with local teams here, the fact that such elite talent is involved in it, all of this stuff is very, very positive at the moment. And we'll see how the nature of this particular program progresses. I'm very, very excited to see what's going to come from the LAFC SoCal youth. But uh, Chris? I was just going to say, too, just to add on to what you were talking about, Jonathan, as of right now, from some of the earlier reports coming out that the players for LAFC SoCal youth are going to have access to uh, some of the LAFC community's coaching and training staff and technical staff and things like that. Not necessarily the first team staff, I would believe, but it's just good to know that they are going to be opening up the doors for all of these young players to, like you said, potentially be academy players down the line. It's an exciting time for anybody that is looking to get their children into any kind of club soccer in Los Angeles. I think it's, you know, what LAFC is doing is very telling. It's not like another professional club had a 20 year head start to establish some sort of partnership with youth soccer. While, yes, they try to have an academy and a USL team, I think they didn't bridge the gap with youth soccer. And an interesting quote was from the press release and some of the video as part of the press release was when Real Socal themselves said, when you think about soccer, football, you think in LA, you think LAFC, right? And this has only been a handful of years in comparison to the existence of the league. So... I think the impact that the club is having from a footballing perspective, entertainment perspective, overall in-game at stadium 
perspective, but also now the impact the tentacles are going into the community and giving an identity and also a connection, right? The team rebranded itself to have a portion of the badge along with the rest of the agreed upon name moving forward. So the colors are gonna be inherent. Their kids are gonna have a connection growing up. So when they see the colors and the uniform on the screen on TV or at the stadium, there's gonna be more of a connection beyond what we already feel us, you know, what I call early adopters, early supporters, early fans. So all positive things. And I'm really happy that LAFC was able to establish this partnership. It really makes me happy because I grew up out here my whole life. And like you said, Chris, that blue badge has been there forever. Those Pierce College trainings are intense. So it's something to look forward to. And I think Jonathan, you asked a lot of good and the correct questions in terms of where it's going to go, but I feel positive about it because LAFC has not up until this point done anything halfway. Street by street, block by block. Once again, you know, just building that foundation one fan at a time from youth all the way through. Very, very excited about it. Al? Yeah, well, like you said, they have 4,000 kids, but it's more than that. So the level of play that they're going to elevate, that they go out, the teams that they're going to be able to scout. So just for them being participating and getting their coaches, it's not just going to elevate their program, it's going to elevate all the programs with the competition. So it's also increase their eyes on everything. So it's just a good thing, I think. All around, the fact that these children are going to get to work with professional coaching, coaching at the highest level is an absolutely wonderful thing. And speaking of that athletic and training staff that runs LAFC, we just found out that Sean Kupiak and Luis Ramirez were named the 2020 Athletic Trainer Staff of the Year by the Professional Soccer Athletic Trainers Society. If you guys are not familiar, Sean is our head athletic trainer, and Luis is one of the athletic trainers on LAFC's team. I have to be honest, I was yesterday years old when I found out there was an Athletic Trainer Staff of the Year Award <laughs> and that MLS had its own Professional Soccer Athletic Trainers Society. Forgive me for being ignorant of those things prior to LAFC winning this award. But I think once again, it speaks to the fact that LAFC have established a team that is considered by their peers. Remember, the voting for this is not done by the public. The voting for this is done by their peers. So the other trainers are the ones who are voting for this. So amongst their peers, they were voted as the best in the league. And I think that once again, just speaks volumes about how LAFC go about their business. I'm curious if you boys have any thoughts on Sean and Luis getting named athletic training staff of the year. It's good. Anything, obviously, that shows that LAFC are doing things the right way is good. You know, it's, it's interesting. I wonder what it is that some of these peers evaluate each other on. I just wonder what the criteria are. You know, it's like, hey, what 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 would a, a, a training staff be evaluated on in order to, to be deemed like, hey, look, these are the, the best ones. What is it that Sean and Luis do that was leaps and bounds better than everybody else? I would love to know that information because it's, you know, it's, it's great for them to be awarded this, but it's like, hey, well, what, what did they do that earned this? Because you, I would love to know more about their roles and uh, other than the fact of, you know, a lot of it is behind doors, what, what they do at the performance center and what they do in the training room and things like that. We never get to see it. So it's, I would, I'm so curious to know what it is on their day-to-day roles and things like that, that is entailed that earned them this, this award. I think what, what this tells me is players are being developed in terms of being stronger and probably staying healthier, better than other teams, right? I think that's kind of what, in my mind, what the evaluation would be. Apart from Carlos Vela, I don't think we had any significant injuries with a weird 
year in terms of training and social distance. So it looks like they were able to adapt and put programs together for each one of the players that made sense for their body type or where their goals were in terms of where they wanted their bodies to be. So what it also tells me is that the club has done a good job of identifying progressive trainers that can adapt. And um, also, you know, I've seen some of those videos from the promos where it looks like it's intense, even if it's virtual. So I'm just happy they're getting recognized. It motivates them further and pushes them and the team to live up to a standard now that they put forth. So I'm happy that the club, like you said, Chris, continues to get recognized in things that we didn't even know existed in terms of recognition. We have to think how Velo was able to come back from, you know, from injury. How many minutes does Segura play nonstop, whether it's three games in a week, you know, and the fact I think they're able to navigate through that just shows that, you know, they're on par, they're listening and they're just, you know, elevating everything. So I think those are probably some of the things I take into consideration. You know, in addition to the technical staff, uh, LAFC is pretty much, from what I'm reading, it's a done deal that Steve Trundolo is going to be a new staff member also for LAFC, and he's going to be taking over for the Las Vegas Lights, which is the USL affiliate for LAFC this upcoming season. Not all the full details are coming out about it, and I'm not even sure if it's necessarily 100% confirmed. I think they're still working out some of the details, but as uh, you guys know, LAFC doesn't have a USL affiliate right now. There is no LAFC 2 or anything like that, and in our initial season, we had the association with Orange County SC, and that was terminated, and we didn't have a designated affiliate the last two seasons, so we're now making a partnership with Las Vegas lights, Steve Trundolo, who is a very, very famous U S men's national team player. He represented the United States in the world cup in 2006 and 2010. Uh, and he also is one of the longest tenured players in the Bundesliga. He had played for Hanover 96. Does I say that right, Jonathan? Yeah. You look, Trundolo is a Bundesliga legend. One club guy. Played for 15, 16 years with Hanover. Really impressive career. He was captain of that team for about half a decade. He was referred to as the mayor of Hanover, Mr. Hanover. And with Hanover 96, or as they're often referred to in Germany, he was synonymous with that club throughout the entirety of his career. So he played for about 15 years in the Bundesliga, all for one team, became the most capped American player in the Bundesliga, and I think had more games for any one team than anyone in the history of the Bundesliga when he retired in 2015. Absolutely amazing career, a huge, huge player within the Bundesliga world. And then since his retirement from the playing game, he stayed on with Hannover 96 as one of their youth team coaches was with them for about three, four years before advancing up in the age scale and taking over a job with Stuttgart. And then he came back to the United States and was actually working with the United States men's national team for a while before he went back to Germany to coach the under-15 Mannschaft team, the German national team players. That's an amazing pedigree. This is a very, very big name. In an interview with Bild, which is a very famous German magazine, very reputable source, is where the information came out that he was coming to Las Vegas and that Las Vegas's partnership with LAFC was brought up in the course of that interview. And the interview basically called the Las Vegas Lights LAFC's farm team and spoke to him about how he felt in taking over that team. He was committed to making world-class talent, and that's something that his experience lends him toward. And he's very interested in at one point in time in his career potentially taking over as an MLS coach. 
So there's a lot about this signing that not only yields very positive results for the present LAFC in the form of our USL affiliates, but like all of our moves seems to come with pedigree and work towards the future. This is incredibly intelligent signing from the front office and potentially someone that could be on Bradley's staff uh, or maybe even an heir to Bob Bradley sometime in the future. But a very, very positive signing for Las Vegas Lights and our continued partnership between LAFC and Las Vegas. That certainly appears to be at the onset here, something we're going to see for some time. I'm very excited to wait for that official announcement. But Trundle coming over is a huge deal and is one that is uh, going to be a very, very big announcement when it comes out. But curious to hear your thoughts, boys. To me, this sounds like a checkers and chess situation. LAFC is, you know, three, four, five moves ahead. Like the Real SoCal thing, I feel like some people saw that coming, but, you know, we put a stamp on that. This is another one of those kind of moves for me where there's a pipeline being built. They said that about that partnership with Real SoCal. I think there's a partnership being built. It sounds like rumors have it with Las Vegas Lights. And Chirundolo has the personality, played with Bradley. I'm sure has had plenty of conversations with Bradley, has an international pedigree, both with the national team and as a professional. So people are going to listen to him. And I think he's also probably modern and up-to-date in a lot of these training schemes, tactics, etc. So all very good things. And I'm looking forward to being able to lend a player to Las Vegas Lights and not have them act like Vito Salaya did, right? There's going to be a real commitment. I think we've learned from personnel and acquisitions and signings in the last handful of years. And it sounds like there's been real investment and an additional thought put into things that are gonna be fruitful in the near and long-term for LAFC. You know, it's, it's interesting how you talk about the roles when players get loaned out and, and what have you to these lower division teams so that they can get some reps and some minutes. and. I hadn't thought about that, that this is probably because of how the organization is structuring this relationship. It does sound like it is going to be more of a commitment from the USL team to look to give opportunities for LAFC to the players that they're looking to try and get more minutes. They send them down to the USL. We had talked about too, how all the players are going to have their technical and training is going to be here in Los Angeles at the performance center but they're still going to play all of their games in Las Vegas, which is, you know, the four hours away. So it just goes to show you that things are going to be different this time around with this relationship. And it, it might be more of that traditional second team affiliate situation, as opposed to just a casual relationship. Man, man four hours to Vegas, bro, slow down. All right. Drive safe, dude. <laughs> right. Well, so, I mean, you know, Bob has said in the past, you know, we don't want to send out our guys. We want them to learn the things, you know, in the LAFC way. And I think Bob could have confidence in Terundolo knowing that they're going to go to someone that can he can trust, that he knows is going to push them and to keep them honest and hard. And, you know, someone that just seems to have the right experience in terms of developing players. So it just seems like the, the perfect fit. And hopefully it works out. <laughs> hopefully it does. The next, the next item in news and notes, new prospective team that was going to join the MLS, Sacramento Republic, they're out. So Ron Burkle, quote from him, due to issues related to COVID-19 pandemic, He's decided to not move forward with the acquisition of an MLS expansion team in Sacramento. So billionaire taking a little bit of a hit and not thinking it's the right move at this time for him to enter the league. So interesting note from Burkle. He's bought 
Michael Jackson's Neverland Ranch for 22 million. So it's not like he's not have the millions of dollars to get into the league, but that purchase was made in December, long after his commitment to Sacramento and well into the course of this pandemic uh, that he shells out 22 million for Neverland Ranch. So interesting for him to come out and say, oh, well, you know, COVID, I don't have money, but then he's buying one of the most expensive properties in, uh, you know, Los Olivos there outside of Santa Barbara. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a bummer. Uh, well, that I comes with the zoo. The, the stadium doesn't. Of course. Come on, man. And and it's got its own Disneyland style train and everything there as well, too. I mean, I guess, you know, I guess that beats soccer for yeah. some people. I'm sure that's tax deductible, too, probably. I don't know. So let me ask you guys, you know, now that because there was at one point we right, we were considering sacramento to be in it was almost like a done deal type of situation so does that open the door for another california team to move in uh, northern california southern california or do you think that the mls is just gonna take a break adding expansion teams and just wait for financial things to kind of recover bring on the loyal let's take them let's get them on I was going to say, there's, away day. if it's California, it, I think San Diego is the only one that makes sense. But then there's there's been Phoenix and Las Vegas, too, who've been wanting to get in themselves. So there's more than a few suitors that are willing to pay that franchise fee. I don't want Loyal to join MLS just because that means that Jerry Jimenez is going to, you know, have to pick a side there. And, and obviously, I think we know who he's loyal to. So, you know, I would hate to see the Podfather leave the black and gold family. So I think just for that reason, I would love for it to be somewhere else. I have no idea what the soccer landscape looks like there, but a New Orleans away day seems pretty fantastic. And if I could drop a pin on the map anywhere in the United States and stick a functional MLS team in there, that would be my dream city for us to have some away days at. Get me some shrimp po' boys, crawl down Bourbon Street. Mm, sounds like a good time. You know, maybe hit up Commanders. All of that sounds like the best possible away days for me. But I think, look, MLS is going to go where the money is. And whoever the next person is that's willing to check all those boxes and sign the check, that's where it's going to go, right? Would that be Club de Foot New Orleans? I would take it. I would be fine with that. I'd be fine with that. I'm sure there's a lot of different places that could go. I don't know. I'm going I'm to leave my French out of it here. But, uh, oh, man, just, just imagine you should just be in the stadium with some gumbo, a little Creole. Oh, oh. Man, so good. Dude, the food there is so good, man. If you've never been to New Orleans, hey, go to New Orleans. It's a fantastic city. I love it there. The food is on another level. And obviously, uh, you know, as one who imbibes an adult beverage from time to time, they are well known for their uh, for their beverages there as well, too. But uh, that's my two cents on it. It's a bummer to see Sacramento fall through. Would have been a pretty cool thing to have another, you know, California team representing here. I hope that someone steps up and continues that same investment. They find a new investor just for all those fans that waited so long, fought so hard, finally got their MLS ticket punched and to have it taken away from them, you know, this late in the game. Such a bummer for all those fans. That's who I really feel for in all of this. So hopefully, hopefully that pans out for them. I mean, my biggest honestly thought when the, the news came out, I felt bad for uh, the NWSL because I knew that was going to be a, a good rivalry in, in the state for the new ACFC. I know this is LAFC podcast, but I, that was my, my first concern really when that news happened. I thought three, you know, three soccer terms, New Orleans, hands down away days. I think that wins. That would be great. But uh, New Mexico United, uh, Detroit City FC, and maybe Oakland Roots. You know, those are three teams I'll throw out there other than, you know, Phoenix and Las Vegas. Those are three teams I think that actually 
And I know that was in San Antonio or one team. Those are the soccer teams that I think are really making a push in USL that would really want to fight for those spots. Bummer, bummer for all those fans, for sure. Moving on to our next bit of news and notes, some very, very, very dark news coming out of Florida. Uh, Jonathan Suarez, uh, who has a contract that was just picked up recently by Orlando City SC, had his contract terminated after he and his brother were arrested last week for allegations of sexual battery. They're facing second-degree sexual battery charges that carry upwards of a 15-year prison sentence. The details of this investigation are graphic and horrific. It is a very, very dark scene. Thankfully, MLS has decided to terminate that contract in partnership with Orlando and taken a step back from this. But, you know, I mean, it just goes to show you even people that are blessed in life to be at the highest level of this game playing in the MLS can still go out and make horrible, horrible, disgusting choices. Uh, really, really sad to see. I don't think there's much more to say about it other than it happened, it's terrible, and and we move on. I don't want to dwell too long on a fairly dark subject there, but that was a particularly egregious bit of news and notes that came out over the course of the last week. Disappointing to hear about. Obviously, uh, you know, our hearts go out to the young woman involved, and we hope that she is okay, but very, very horrible stuff to hear. And hats off to MLS and Orlando City for dealing with it swiftly. But with that, we can kind of move on to what's going on. I guess across the pond, I should say, over in Spain with Raito, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. So Brian Rodriguez has been loaned out, as we know, to Almeria. And he has made two appearances in so far. And in, in I think that he's been eligible to play in four matches. And in those two appearances, he's only played for 12 minutes. So it's not necessarily the uh, start. I think that most people that wanted to see Brian do well are expecting, but it, you know, it's also been, I think less, less than a month, or if it has been a month, it's been just about a month. And uh, you know, there's still time for him to, to adjust and things like that. I, I don't think that this is any kind of indication about uh, where he is, going to end the season i just i hope that things start picking up for him soon i i tend to read this situation a little different you know they're they're making a push for a promotion they're mid-season they have a team that's you know pretty much in form so if you if you have a coach and have a new player coming in you don't necessarily want to just throw this player in and mess up the chemistry if things are going right you're not just gonna throw things in that way obviously you know you have your talent maybe someone make the field but i'm I, i wouldn't look too much into this just yet but it's definitely something to keep an eye on from you know, my perspective. There's a very limited amount of time between when his loan started and the end of their season. They only have about another six weeks or so left, I think, in their season, eight weeks left in their season. So hopefully he continues his run of form and gets some more minutes. We are all rooting for him to succeed. There's no one who wants anything more than for him to be scoring goals, net and assists, doing everything in order to increase his brand, increase his value, and find some suitors for him. If it means he comes back to LAFC and plays with us again, we're hoping he gets positive experience over there. And if it means that he ships out and moves on in his career, hopefully it's for the highest dollar amount possible. Like he wants that. We want that. That's what everyone wants to see from this equation. It's going to take more than a generous 12 minutes over the course of four matches to get him there, though. So all praying that... Uh, you know, he gets a few more minutes going forward. I will say his agent deserves all the money he's getting because he's negotiated to be able to go to Spain and Los Angeles. So kudos to that dude being able to negotiate for his player. He will perform well in the end, I think. I think he just is one 
10 minute span from getting like a, a half. But I think to your point, Al, why mess it up, especially if they're in the run-in and they're about to get promoted? No reason to. And also it, it probably does well for their negotiating. I think, Jonathan, a couple of episodes ago, you said, hey, if they sandbag, they have leverage. So especially if the team is doing well. So I, I can see a lot of variables here as to why he's not playing and they're all logical. So let's just hope, like you said, Jonathan, he does have a spectacular game where it increases the value or someone else notices him in Europe. Do you think that if they uh, if they have promotion that that might automatically trigger the loan purchase? So maybe if they, they make it up, they'll get the money from La Liga from entering and then no matter what, they'll have time to put him into the roster and integrate him into there? I hope so. I hope that's a stipulation. I hope that there's no like minute threshold attached to it either. So we'll see. I, I don't know what John Thornton put in that contract and what they accepted, but he's getting exposure. He's getting his name out there. Hopefully people are scouting him, even if it's in training. So, yeah, that, that's, that's what I'm hopeful uh, for him and for the club. So with that, we know that there are a couple more national team call-ups. We had already touched on this on some previous episodes, so we're not going to dive too deep into it. Um, but it has been confirmed that Farfan will be called up for the U.S. national team's U23s. And that Tomas Romero will be out with El Salvador as well, too. These are things that we knew were going to happen. Uh, we have commented on that on previous shows, so we'll go ahead and move on. But that was confirmed this last week that Farfan and Romero are getting national team call-ups. And this is uh, for the Olympics that are going to be coming up later this year. So that's exciting to potentially have uh, two players on our roster being representing their countries in the Olympics. So it's good stuff. And obviously more to come on that front later. I think we can all assume that there are five or six other international players that are most likely to see some call-ups around that time for LAFC as well, too. But those two were confirmed over the course of the last week. A lot of teams have been dropping their new kits, and it seems like LAFC is really waiting until the last minute here. What we heard from the club this week is that the release is not going to happen until sometime at the end of the month. So whether this is related to late negotiations with the kit sponsor, although it does sound like that sponsorship is locked. I know all of you listen to Heart of LAFC, but they did have uh, Pat on recently who talked about the fact that this is going to happen at the end of the month, that we have a very strong new kit sponsor that has been confirmed, but it does sound like that happened of late. And so it might be a production issue that might be delaying things. We know LAFC fans are going to be a bit ravenous about purchasing these, so hopefully they do arrive in quantity when they come, and that might be one of the reasons why it's delayed as well, too. I think the cat's out of bag as far as what we're looking at, but all of us are desperate to get our hands on one, and it does look like that's not going to happen until the end of the month. Boom, 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 boom. Well, they, they put out some uh, training photos today, I think, so I think that uh, it didn't have YouTube on it, that's for sure. I'm not sure the training did that. They always had it on before, I think, right? Or am I wrong on that? Some of the training stuff that they had had on before was just like the gray training with just the crest and the Adidas logo. There was not always a YouTube TV logo. Sometimes there was, but not always. Okay, so I'm reading too much into that then. <laughs> no, I think I think it's purposeful though. I think you're right. Did you guys notice though that? So that means that for them to be training today, that means everyone showed up a week ago to take all their tests and they've been in quarantine for a week and they're training from day one instead of waiting right away. Something I really like. It's a good call. Yeah. That's that's good. Dude, who knew we had not only a soccer coach and aficionado, but also a private detective joining the show today as well, too. Well, I just leave that one out, man. 
So with that, the Jersey information, the kits uh, information, we're also some more LAFC news coming out. We had just talked about how the players made their start of their preseason. LAFC has released their official preseason roster. There is really nothing on there that is shocking to anybody. There is all of the remaining players from last year and some of our newer acquisitions from the Super Draft with Danny Trejo. There's also Corey Baird, Kim Moon-Juan. So there's really nothing on the roster that stood out to me as a shocker. And I also read an article that said LAFC is looking to have fans in the stands this season in a limited capacity. So that would be interesting. Of course, they have to work with the city of Los Angeles, Mayor Garcetti, and also uh, Governor Newsom to work out how that would all play out. But, you know, what do you guys think? Well, first, what do you guys think about the roster? Did you guys get a chance to look at it? Is there anything on there that, that made you question a player missing a player on it, anything like that? I have not had a chance to see that release. I don't think there were any big surprises on there. The club has been fairly honest. What I would like to see is any of the other draftees beyond Trejo. Did any of them make the list? I did not get a chance to see that. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're all on there. They're on so yeah, here I'll, I will go over all of the players that don't have jersey numbers are the, really the ones that are just new to the team. So Cece Ucheo, Danny Trejo, Thomas Romero, Alvaro Quesada, Kim Moon Juan, but he's wearing 33, but yeah. they have him listed here as no number. Marco Farfan, Raheem Edwards, and Corey Baird. Other than that, everybody else was on the team from the previous year. All three of our academy players are on the roster. And uh, yeah, every, everybody's there. So it seems like CC is going to have the toughest time to, to make the team considering the, our, our depth and defense. I'm wondering, does Raheem have a chance to really provide some backup, you know, on that midfield there? That's uh, kind of my question, especially if, you know, we lose a twist of the season, which I'm yeah. careful of. Well, and how many of these players are heading to Las Vegas? That's what I was going to say. So I, I think that has a lot to do with it as well, too. So, so much yet to happen until that other shoe drops. It's a gamble that makes sense for sure. The last thing I'll mention on here for news and notes before, or I guess the penultimate thing I'll mention for those that received the LAFC newsletter, there's a black and gold fan clubs that are out there. Pat was on a heart of LAFC talking about the, the fan clubs that are fan supported and also LAFC supported. And so there's a black and gold apron club, heart of a LAFC cycling club, the black and gold running club, black and gold book club, Los Angeles foot golf, which I joined and the Black and Gold Gaming Club. So a flavor for everything else. Not only is there the LAFC SoCal youth that's making connections and spreading their tentacles, but there is a flavor for everyone uh, in association with LAFC and their different interests. So check that out. Check out the newest newsletter and join any of those clubs that you guys are all interested in. Was you you a member of any of those clubs, Al? So uh, I'm now finally joined the Discord for the Gaming Club. I tried joining the apron club because through COVID, I've been doing a lot of healthy cooking. That's been my mainly Instagram post instead of coaching. And um, I'm, I tried joining the foot club. So I'm gonna have to talk to you, Christian, later about uh, who, who I talk to and where we're we playing at. So my local course is Rancho, but uh, I've been interested. Those are the three that I, I joined. Yeah, no, yeah, let's connect. I, uh, I joined the black. Well, I've been a part of the black and gold running club since the beginning of last season when everybody was running the LA marathon and, I also signed up for the Black and Gold Cycling Club from my triathlon days. I'm going to see about trying to trying to get some suckers to join me in a triathlon. I'm going to pull from a couple of the cycling fans and a couple of the running fans and be like, hey, you guys want to go on a swim? 
Well, best of luck to you there. I am excited about the Black and Gold Vinyl Club, which I heard LRC Punk talking about. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit up Jason about that and see what's going on there because uh, that's more my speed than doing any kind of physical exertion whatsoever. But I, I do look, I just love the fact that this club is integrating itself within the community. So before we move on to the interview portion of the show, we do have uh, one last thing we wanted to talk about real quick. And uh, it's kind of a personal note here, but um, something I wanted to share with all of you guys that's going on in my life. So starting next week, I am happy to announce that I will be joining Christian Philly Philemon, the new voice of the Ontario Fury and his broadcast team. And so for next Wednesday, the 10th, Friday and Saturday, I will be doing the play-by-play color commentary for your Ontario Fury in the Major Arena Soccer League. As we all know, that's where LAFC signed Adrian Perez from. And for those of you who haven't watched an indoor soccer game, it is an intense half hockey, half soccer-like indoor experience. That is a ton of fun. And the Ontario Fury um, are one of the best teams, if not the best team in the league right now, with hands down the best player in the league in Frank Tayu. And it's going to be a really exciting adventure, something I'm really stoked, I have to be honest, to be a part of. Doing TV play-by-play commentary is something that is so big, I don't even know if the reality of it has settled in on me yet. But it's going to be a lot of fun joining um, our Defenders pod friend there, Philly, and that'll be going down next week. So please check in, join the games. You can uh, pay-per-view purchase each game. They're broadcast on Facebook. You either go to the Ontario Fury page or to the MASL, the Major Arena Soccer League page. You can find links there to join us and come watch the madness happen starting uh, on the 10th, which is a pretty cool thing I'm very excited about. So thank you for letting me share that with everyone tonight, boys. Yeah, no, congratulations, dude. That's awesome. You know, who knows? Maybe uh, one day you and uh, Philly can be uh, Maxis plus ones, man. That'd be great. You know, cut your cut your, cut your your chops uh, with the Ontario Fury. And uh, soon enough, man, you might be calling LAFC games. You never know. Yeah, congrats. Yeah, congrats. Watch out, Dave Denholm. We got a new uh, radio crew coming on your broadcast soon. On your tail. Well, rise with fury. Rise with fury. Uh, with that, why don't we go ahead and transition the conversation away from me, thankfully, uh, and to the man of the hour this evening, Mr. Al Hopkins. Once again, sir, thank you so much for joining us. For those of you who are not familiar with Al, you probably have seen his online persona at Culver City Al on Twitter, taking it to the clowns at Carson. We also have him as Coach Alexi on Instagram out there repping both the youth soccer movement here in L.A. and the black and gold. So, sir, thank you once again for coming and welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Also, my uh, post in every stats to get the Facebook fans group a little more positive and soccer talk oriented. <laughs> Bless you. Does it ever need that? Bless your heart. Those are actually like legit, really good stats, too. What made you start making those? So it's just like you guys, you guys started putting out content out there, LAFC related. And, you know, we're all on, online a little too much sometimes. And this is pre-COVID, I think. And I just thought, you know, everyone's saying this was trash. This was trash. And I'm like, you know, let's just put the stats out there. And just, you know, after every game, let's just at least have that out there. So we can look at certain things, have certain measurements of looking at the team. And, you know, it just, it wasn't being done. So I just like, you know what, take a quick snapshot of the MLS page and post it on the LAFC fan page and, and that's pretty much all that there was to it. Well, bless you, sir. We'll dive a little bit more into your LAFC game day experience and what those matches are like for you, sir. But before we get too out in front of ourselves, we'd like to reel this all the way back to when the beautiful game entered your life, sir, and how you fell in love with footy. Kindergarten, I was part of the Purple People Eaters. 
which maybe dates me a little bit. I, you know, I had my purple uniform on, my Ninja Turtle headband. And, uh, you know, back then, kindergarten was still playing 11 v 11. <laughs> so uh, I just remember, you know, my grandpa picking me up sometimes or my dad and, you know, just out there playing on the field. And then, you know, progressively, I kept, you know, playing youth soccer, doing tournament teams, making the all-star team and stuff like that. And every weekend traveling, my dad would take, you know, we'd have a minivan, you know, I know they say soccer moms, but my soccer dad filling like three or four kids we go pick up other players and travel around enter tournaments and and you know so started with the game by playing it how did you feel when the 94 world cup rolled into town and into the country was that did that have some sort of impact on you the it had probably the biggest impact on me probably of any sport and that's definitely where my my love of soccer was fully cemented you know born in 84 you know 94 10 years old this huge events coming in town my dad was really into, you know, sporting events and stuff. He went to the 84 Olympics and everything. And so uh, we, I remember getting hyped up for it. We went to go see Cameroon play some local college team up in Oxnard somewhere. You know, we drove like an hour and a half. You know, high school football soccer stadium filled with like 2,000 people to watch Cameroon play. You know, so I was starting getting excited for it. And I think I've seen a couple U.S. national team games in the run-up to it. I would watch, uh, you know, UCLA soccer games or go over there and watch them. And so uh, I was very fortunate that my dad really loved not just sporting events, but all sports and international events. And I got to, you know, witness and participate in a lot of the, the World Cup games at the Rose Bowl. I was there for a, a Columbia game, the, you know, the famous own goal. I was uh, 20 rows behind the goal. You know, when it happened, I couldn't believe what happened. And then I still get the goosebumps to this day. My dad turns to me and he says, you better not go back home. And I'm like, what do you, you know, then the game went on. And of course, like, you know, later I hear the news and I'm thinking a huge mob took him out or something, you know, pitchforks and everything. And then of course, we luckily, we now know, well, not luckily, but we now know the story through Escobar Escobar. And so, yeah, so I, I, I remember it so vividly, just the whole play of the ball coming, sliding and all of a sudden, the, it was like slow motion. The time the ball just rolled into the net. It was like the keeper's going one way and he's just got cut with his ankles. And it's like, oh, I, I feel so terrible for that. It's amazing that after all this time, that image is still so vivid in your mind. But in addition to watching World Cup games, you also got to watch uh, the U.S. men's national team perform in the Gold Cup as well, too. Is that true? I saw, yeah, U.S. men's national team Gold Cup. I've seen Mexico, El Salvador play in the Coliseum. I've seen, I, I don't remember, you know, every game, but like, I definitely know like Honduras playing, you know, Honduras playing Guatemala or something like that or Nicaragua. I've went to all these international games at the Coliseum. That my dad would take me to through like 95, 96, and all those times after the World Cup. And I uh, just, you know, the passion and just the energy and the vibe, even from the World Cup on, you have people face painting, you're getting bacon wrapped hot dogs, you know, the stadium's filled with people, there's firecrackers going off, just the passion of the game. And, you know, 80, 90, 100,000 people filling a stadium, just the joy of that for a 10, 11 year old was just, you know, those, those couple of years just really cemented my love of the game you know, as far as tactically and everything like that, because I was a player, but then just the experience, the emotion, the joy, the heartaches, just everything that you love about football is just, uh, it was there. And I was just very fortunate that my dad, uh, you know, had the, the foresight or just, the, my dad had the intrigue himself. He loved, he loved sports. You know, we love all sports in our house. And just to know that, all right, these events are going here. We got to go. And my dad uh, took me to them. You mentioned it was your father that brought you to all these games. Do you bond over soccer? Is that something that you share between the two of you? Yeah. I mean, he's the one that signed us up for LAFC early on. You know, he was getting reached out by reps and stuff. And he's like, you know, he's going to get two tickets. Like, you know, you might, you 
would you like maybe get four tickets early on? He's like, you know what? I'll, I'll get four tickets. And that way my stepmom, my, my, my sister, my dad, my sister's moved to New York since. And then I'll take friends and stuff. And so, yeah, my dad was the one that kind of always just loved sport, you know, putting me into baseball, playing basketball, playing soccer growing up. He was uh, my, you know, regular season coach, but then he ended up being the manager for our tournament and traveling teams and stuff. He would, you know, he let the co the real coaches get in and teach everything, always pulling me to the side. And, you know, whenever it was a water break, I'd go over to my dad and he'd say, hey, you need to move over here. You got to look for Troy running up the side here. Like, you know, got to get him the ball a little bit quicker and stuff like that. So it was definitely my dad and his love of sports. You know, he's that typical guy saying, oh, offside, oh, holding, you know, watching an NFL game or college football game. Because we also go to UCLA football games growing up too. You know, so we, we didn't just see that. He'd take me, you know, to the UCLA soccer games and – yeah, so that was definitely my love of sports definitely was, came from my father. In theory, I was going to say that the years 94 through 96, 97 would have been foundational for the love of soccer as MLS was rolling in. But you, you guys didn't do that, it sounds like. There's something else that moved you to incorporate yourself into this new club back in, you know, 2016, 17, 18. What was it that your dad maybe identified or had a conversation with you that uh, intrigued you enough to engage and follow a new club in the city of LA? Well, I mean, going back to 96, we were at the first ever galaxy game. You know, there was about 60,000 people there. It was, it had, it was showing some promise. Obviously, you know, that the, the playing, the, the level of play just wasn't as competitive. And then slowly each game, we went down 40, 30, 20,000 people. And I'm going to UCLA football game. And there's more people there than you're at a galaxy game. And you could just kind of tell that like, it just wasn't the same as what I experienced at the world cup. And for, you know, as you know, 10, 11 year old, 12 year old, it's just happening. Like you can't lie to a kid. You just, it, it wasn't the same thing. So it just, you know, you watch the games and stuff, but still, you know, watching champions league and you know, that's that football is more competitive, still watching more college soccer. And so it's just something that galaxy just never fully cemented in the heart. You know, it just, it wasn't a, Sadly, so say just it wasn't a respectable league, you know. So then once LAFC is coming around, you know, like, oh, we're, you know, we're the LA Times. Oh, there's this new team coming. Here's how they're forming and slowly learning about it. My dad was probably a little bit more on it than I was. I had it in my peripheral vision. But, you know, come that Christmas that year, it's like he gets me an LAFC hat and a long sleeve LAFC shirt. And he says, guess what? We got tickets to this. And this is coming up. And like, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, all right, I knew this was coming. We're like, OK, this is sweet. You know, they took rid of the sports arena. You know, I knew about the stadium being developed and everything. You know, I got to give credit to a lot of the people that put in the effort, that really put in the work for those couple of years before. And the people that put their names on that little slack that they built the stadium on, you know, they really did a lot of, lot of work, you know, doing that hard work of slowly building it. I know Carson likes to say that we're focus group, but what it was is it was them listening, them talking, having a dialogue and it building and when I went to that first game, I still have that make history pass right here, right? You gave the pass. This was just for the 30 to 52. And you come in there and they're like, welcome home. I know they were paid to say that, obviously, but like every guy, every red shirt was like, welcome home. And something hit me on that. And even before then, tailgating, having some beers. Yep. I see, Jonathan, you got that there. And so just the tailgating experience there was like, okay, I can get on the Metro. I can with ease get to this game over here. They allow you to have a couple beers out on the grass. You're allowed to buy a hot dog from, you know, from the ladies on the carts there. They're not pushing them away, getting rid of them, you know, which I may sound little, but the smell of that dog, it was, reminds me of when I was at the World Cup, you know? And so that first game, I was like, 
no, not fully sure what to expect. I didn't fully dive into the, the thing, but I was watching the away games. I'm like, oh my God, look at these fans in Seattle and look at this Rose Eagle. I'm like, oh my, like, you know, I started learning about the players and, and for a while I thought Atuesta was our DP because of how great he was playing. I was like, oh wait, no, we have this Horta guy come in. And, and so I just slowly started learning. And that first game was just, I mean, it was so magical. It was just such a fun day. And then the, you know, the nail biter at zero, zero, it's getting to the end. And then Simon just hits that ball and it goes in the back of the net. And that, and that particular game, I was right behind D9U and, and it just, it was just electric. You know, everyone says electric and it can be such a cliche, but just the feeling of it was so, it was just, it was football, man. And it was just, it was LA and it was a sporting experience that I hadn't felt since I was a kid. And that's really where LSC finally was like, from that day on, I was like, that's it, man, this is my team. And it's just, it's grown and grown ever since there. You know, I listened, uh, I re-listened to your podcast earlier today, Jonathan, when you first interviewed here. And you're talking about, you know, how you were in the mask and there was just a couple people. And, you know, and slowly and slowly, the energy and the flair and the character and the experience and everyone just saying, you know what, I can be a little silly. I can take this game seriously. I can have fun with it. I can enjoy myself. I can be who I want to be. And I can come here, watch a great team that, you know, we can talk about the football side of it, what they do, which is perfect. But then just the whole experience and just everyone starts adding a little bit of flair. So like my first season, I wore the black and gold hat. So then the second season, I'm like, all right, I got to, I bought this gold hat. So I, the gold hat is how I'm going to do it. And I slowly got my pins and everything, you know, slowly meeting people. And like, I got defenders pin. I should have, there we go. I bought the shoulder to the shoulder podcast pin early on. Beautiful. That's what we're talking about. That gold hat is one of your more recognizable, distinguishing things that kind of, Take you out of the crowd. You can always be like, oh, hey, look, there's Al. I love how the culture has allowed the space for all of us to have those little quirky, eccentric, individualistic things that we get to do. It's a beautiful thing about the space that LAFC and, and the 3252 has carved out for all of us crazy people that are there. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. No, I was going to say, well, there was one Carson match where my brother was coming to the game. And he's usually working, so he never gets to see a game. And he's left his phone in the Uber, but he actually left it at home. And it was a whole big mess. And like, I'm going in the game. I'm not going to wait for him because it's the Carson game. I got to get my seats. He knows that. I'm in line. He sees the gold hat. He's all, oh, thank God he's the hat. I knew exactly where you were. And, and he was able to find me without his phone going into the game. So, yeah, I, you know, that was just kind of a little something I thought. It must be great on the broadcast when you're re-watching games. You can be like, oh, there I am. Oh, there I am. You know, you don't have to like try and like sleuth out where your little spot is that you kind of stand out within that whole crowd if, if you're one who does that sort of thing. But in addition to your exposure to LAFC, and we touched on it briefly, but why don't you tell us a little bit how you got into coaching the game here locally and exactly your involvement with coaching soccer currently in South LA? Well, currently it's non-existent because obviously with COVID, but uh, I've always worked. My first one of my first jobs was a summer camp as a camp counselor. Um, you know, I've worked after school programs. I've been a TA. I'm a, I've gone to school. I'm a trained preschool teacher. And so uh, I've always worked with kids. And in high school, I did a little helping out of my, my brother and sister. And then finally around 2005 or 2004, I did a U10 team. Just I, I knew the regional commissioner hit them. I said, I'd like to coach a team. Moved for Europe. From Europe came back. And then I started playing adult soccer in the Santa Monica Soccer League. And my joy was re reignited. And so then I reached out. And I started doing regular season teams. And after a year or two, I started, you know, getting a tournament team, you know, all volunteer work. And it was just, it was my joy, my passion just to, the thing is I quit, I quit soccer by the time I went into high school. So my main focus is I coach U10 or U12 is just, I want them to have fun. I want them to learn. I want them to play to win. But at the same time, I want this experience to be enjoyable. 
and I want them to be competitive. It just naturally fit in. And, you know, I've been 12 years now that I've been doing it. And it's just something that I just, I really enjoy. Cause I mean, I, you know, I take the coaching aspects, fun, technical side, getting your touches in, letting them play. The main thing, you know, they call it, you know, joystick coaching, pass here, move there, go over there. You know, I always tell the parents at the beginning of the season, like, you know, I might be a little more quiet than most coaches during the game. And I just want you to know that's because I want them to learn to play. I might, you know, after a play say, Hey, look who you might have to the left or, you know, someone's going up on the wing. Well, I'm actually just pulling my defender up in support. And that's more of, you know, you know, move up here and get behind them, be ready for it. Because we're going to work on these things that, you know, in halftime and the practice. And the main thing is I want them to learn to be able to be creative, problem solvers, thinkers, because really, you know, soccer is just, it's a tool, it's a development. These are, these are kids, right? So we're trying to teach them, you know, about life, about never giving up, about competing, working as a team. The only thing you can control is your own effort, right? And so these are the things that I've learned and come to grow on that I really, what I enjoy about coaching, why I do it. And then, you know, putting together game plans. Okay, this player is good here. I have to, you know, put substitution patterns, you know, or even, even when in club soccer, when it's free-flowing substitutions, when, I'm, when I was with uh, AYSO United Los Angeles, we still guaranteed 50% playing time. Some clubs will, you know, take your money, and, but you can ride the bench. Well, our, our club doesn't do that. We guarantee that we're going to have you playing time. But to actually fit that into the flow of the game, to make sure it makes sense, to make sure, okay, we have the right roles being played, and so, you know, those are, these are all the things that I've gone into coaching and I, I, I could probably talk for the whole another 20 minutes. So I don't know if you guys have a question. No, that's I, fantastic. I'm just curious. So what was it about you growing up? You know, it seemed like soccer was ingrained with your family. You know, your dad was constantly watching sports. You grew up in a very sports centric household. I mean, what was it about uh, your high school years that you just had lost that passion? And at what point later in your life was that fire reignited? I think it's just, you know, training every day, having to go to the tournaments, starting to become an adolescent and rebelling a little bit like, oh, I don't want to go and do this kind of thing. I ended up joining tennis and water polo in high school for a little bit. Then when I was 16, I was an exchange student and lived in Europe for a year with my grandmother. I joined a hockey club in Finland. So the truth is I got my butt kicked to practice every day because those boys grew up on skates. You know, there's skate circles around me like, Alexi, you're, you're not very good, but you have you have heart of the lion. <laughs> and so, and so my sports got a little bit re-impassioned then. And when I came back, you know, we still played pickup basketball, you know, obviously in, in LA here, basketball pickup games are a little more, or at least for me than, you know, playing soccer. And, um, and so, yeah, so I just, uh, it was just, it's, I guess it was probably me rebelling and not enjoying as much. But when I came back in 2005, when I, I moved to Finland again, a separate year, I lived in Finland for, when I was 22 for a year and I came back. And my buddy was playing on this adult soccer league. I was like, um, you know, man, I used to play, man. I was pretty good. So why don't I, you know, is there any way I could come out and play? And I ended up, you know, I'm only 5'10", but I was playing goalie. I'm a goalie and a striker. I can score goals to save them. And so I just I ended up playing like one. I started playing 14 games a week. You know, I'd play for my team. And then afterwards, every team needs a goalie. And I'm, I'm a decent goalie. Not great, but I know the game. And 7v7, it's about playing from the back and using your foot. So I just, you know, I get picked up. So I show up for a 7-15 game. Next thing you know, I'm playing 8-15 and 9-15. That's three times a week. And then I joined a Saturday league. And so up until like from the 25 to 30, I was just playing a lot of soccer. And that's also when I was, my coaching was starting to get going as well. So, yeah. So when you were in Finland, was there ever any exposure to soccer there? Or was it just 100% hockey and black metal all the time? Definitely some black metal. I had some friends that were in some techno and trance though. So I had, you know, a little different 
some different friends in that. Uh, hockey in the winter. So you got to think if there's a big green space here in, uh, in LA in the wintertime, that's going to be a hockey rink. And they even have like a type of game called bandy, which is basically playing hockey, but with the rubber ball that we use kind of play with handball, but played like on a soccer rink style, like so with the play, you know, on skates. So that's, that's kind of, uh, you know, wintertime and summertime, they have fields everywhere. So they still play soccer. We still like, you know, I would still, when I was 16, you know, I was playing with my friend. I said, Hey dad, can you send me my shin guards and gloves? Cause we've been playing a little bit. And my friend had a wicked outside left foot curve that could just get it in. But I was playing goal against him. He's like, he's like, wow, man, you're actually really good at this. And I'm like, nah, I mean, I, I played a lot. I like playing. And so, um, I, I played a little bit in Finland there. They play all sports, you know, your cross country skiing, your swimming, your bicycle riding, you know, 10, 20 kilometers. You know, my grandmother, you know, I have the whole cliche of, you know, I went 10 kilometers in the snow to get home, you know, in the middle of a Siberian winter. So I, I've had a little bit of that. You know, they, they just, Finns love all sports. You know, they love race car driving, Formula One, rally car. So I, th I think Finns are competitive by nature. And so just whatever sport there is, they're, they're willing to play it. They're cold-blooded too. A little bit, yeah. So your life transitions back to the United States. LAFC comes into your life. You've mentioned some of your favorite original experiences around LAFC. How would you say you as a fan and your relationship with LAFC have changed over the course of these first few seasons? How have you grown into the fan base and, and how has your relationship with the experience changed? I'm definitely more fanatical. My players will know that like, you're the number one LAFC fan. I have a buddy who's an artist, you know, selling art and he also makes buttons ordered some, you know, like a hundred buttons from them. And I just hand them out at the games for free and stuff. And I'll give them to my players as well. You know, I just tried, like everyone tries to add their own little flair. So I try to add that little flair. I start listening to every podcast, you know, watching the games, looking at lineups, listening to everything. And like throughout this time, like, you know, I've been a Dodgers and a Lakers fan and LAFC has now been promoted to my number one team. LAFC is my team. They have priority over any other sport. Now, if there is a game of any sport on, LAFC is playing. LAFC is the five. That's where LAFC stands now. Um, and, you know, I have, I'm not apologetic about it. I'm, I'm enjoying it. They'll say, oh, you sound a little, you know, you sound a little crazy there. And I say, you know what? It is. And I'm, and I'm happy about it. And I'm not ashamed to admit it. Because it's just been fun. Like everyone at the games and the camaraderie that's there, you know, like I just remember that Leon game and the high fives and just the atmosphere before it and just, you know, being like everyone's a little nervous, the trepidation going into the game. And, and, you know, like, you know, but we can do this. It's still possible. It's not impossible. We didn't play great in Leon, but we didn't play terrible. We just made two mistakes, right? And it's on the road. We still have a chance. And then Bela gets that goal. Palacios comes in, kicks it in. Bela taps it in. And then, all right, okay, all right. That's one down. Then, all right, okay, we go to halftime up or nothing. Okay, we didn't give up a goal. Amir had that little bit of fluke, but he recovered. Didn't give up the goal. We're not giving up shots and, like, just playing the most outstanding football throughout all of LAFC's tenure. Like we, everything that we were working for is finally just coming to fruition and playing so great. And then there comes down the side. I don't remember who got the ball to Vela, but Vela comes in and like his foot, just the way he can kicks it from the right side with his left foot into the right side post on the near, on the near side post was just an amazing goal into the 32 52. We're going nuts. I think it was like somewhere in the 55th, 60 minute or something. Right. So like, okay, right now there's 30 minutes left in the game. I could be wrong in the time. I saw and, you know, you don't have a watch. There's no time in the stadium in the game, really. And so, like, you're just – and it's just going nuts. And then just everyone's there. And then finally it's coming down. And then Rossi's there. And that ship comes in. And you're like, what's going on? Oh, my God. It hits the post and it goes in. And it just – the crowd goes nuts. Everyone's going wild. Beer is being thrown in the air. It's just going crazy. And then, all right, then we're like, all right, can we hold on? Can we hold on? Like, oh, it's going on. And finally it just happened. And then, you know, Max Bredo's just released that video again of the team 
highlight that video that he put on that last five minutes. And I know I didn't see him there, but I was definitely one of those people going around. Didn't matter who you were, you're high fiving, like we're going. Like at that point, like, okay, I think I might have to go to Mexico. I haven't been in a away game. Like, I need to go see Cruz Azul play. Like, this is it. What all the fans did to Leon. Like, oh, this is it was just the ultimate joy. And then obviously what happened a week or two later was just crazy. I was ready to go to that Cruz Azul game. Even though I knew what was going on, like if it's if it's there, I'm going, right? I'm going. And then and then rightfully so they shut down because I got sick a couple of days later. So rightfully so they shut down and and just but that joy and just so just so like I said, the experience, but then the football itself, it's the club I've wanted my entire life. You know, in LA. You know, people say where they play, whatever, but in LA, representing LA and all the little things. My stepmom works at Stoner Avenue. That's one of the schools where they went and uh, uh, they put a futsal court in. And they give a gave a book giveaway, so they're you know you can't do it to every school, but they're trying their best to get as many schools as they can get in there, and and so they just there's so many things on the levels of where LAC just does everything the right way. So yeah, you can say that I'm a homer for the team. <laughs> That's actually really cool. I I haven't actually met anyone who had any kind of tie to a school where they had installed that futsal court. Do you have any information about how, you know, has you talked to your mom about how often it gets used or what any of the kids, like if all of a sudden they just saw this huge uptick in kids playing futsal and stuff like that during their lunches or recesses or what have you, I would love to know, you know, if those courts are actually being used in the way that LAFC had looked to try and get them to be developed. I used to work at that school as a TA and part of my responsibility was lunchtime. And they had a very small little circle. I wouldn't even, I would say it's not even a quarter of a real pitch. And so I ended up running, running soccer at lunchtime. I would do, you know, the lunches are separated up to second grade, then, then, up, and then third and fourth and fifth grade, you know, the, the two lunch tiers. So I would do, you know, I would, I'd have to book it like Monday, Monday, Wednesday, or this day, Thursday, Friday, this day, Friday is the game days. And I'd have to divide up in little quarters and set up goals and like do short-sided games. I would do two V1s. I have like 60, 70 kids all playing at once. And I just, you know, the older kids would divide the field in half. We just do three versus twos with a goalie. And they put the ball in, you get like 30 seconds of play. And the kids were loving. Drills that I run with my competitive teams, these kids that are, you know, I don't want to say anything bad, but they're across the street from our Vista Garden. So the not, you know, not financially affluent. But, you know, the kids just obviously love football because it's predominantly Hispanic school. And um, so I, I so I, they really needed this. Unfortunately, this was built during COVID, so it hasn't been used yet. And I know LUSD probably, you know, I'm, I'm, the thing that shocks me is that I think that some some principals are fearful of their kids playing soccer on cement and falling down and hurting themselves. But playing on the little dirt grass truthfully isn't any better. And most of the kids understand that you can't just go and kick someone, you know, and if you do, you're going to get kicked out. They, they were so thankful and appreciative of like, not necessarily the time that I took, but just to play the game and being stuck in a classroom is one of the things I hate the most. So I'm, I'm like the biggest thing I'm proud of was that I was able to get like 60, 70 kids all playing football at once on this small, tiny place, but organized and in the rules, no one's cutting lines and they're taking their turns and, and smart, you know, they're, they're doing little give and goes. They're doing, they're doing, you know, layovers and stuff. And just, and it's just, uh, it's just, it's just crazy that how much soccer that the kids actually love. So the fact that they're going to have an LAFC pitch there, these kids are going to grow up loving LAFC. And quite frankly, they just need as many pitches as they can. So the more encouragement of soccer and when they're outside of their class and recess and, you know, it's just, it's such a great thing. 
So, yeah, I can't wait to see, you know, I can't wait to see the kids playing at these schools when they can get back in there. Well, we touched on it earlier, but one of the services you provide the LAFC community is being our, our fan statistician on the LAFC fans page. So what was your motivation behind this? What drove you to do it? And why LAFC fans Facebook page is the place to put it all? What was your motivation behind all that? You have to understand the social media. If you take it too seriously, you will go crazy. You take it personal, especially if you're on Twitter. You take it personal. It's the wrong place for you. You, you got to have some fun with it, right? Because some of them are nameless names. The LAFC fan page overall has a lot of people that genuinely care about LAFC that are interacting there. They post their photos. They post things that they do. So there's most of it's actually really good, positive content. There's the few people that put there's trash and basura and all these things, you know. And I like my biggest thing is like, just put a couple sentences there, right? If you didn't like the way he played, you know, all right, K maybe had an 80% pass rate, which isn't the best, you know, that's a good highlight. I'll defend that K will come back and knock you off the ball and win it more often than not. And his presence defensively and stability is more important than that one Aaron pass once in a while, which I know Jonathan might disagree with me on a little bit, but at the same time, you can't, I know you, you won't knock his effort. You know that he's out there working hard. And the eye test, the eye test when I watch the game is there. So I just, you know, but put the stats there. It's a, I don't put any comment. I don't, I just say the win, the loss. I just put it there and arbitrarily. And if people want to comment on debate on it, then, you know, that's up to them. Hey, look, I, all right, look, I love Mac. He's a great guy. He's a great defender for us. Maybe not on set pieces, but he's a great defender for us, um, you know, especially on tracking back and recovering. But his passing uh, does definitely uh, hit a spot for me. And I don't know what it is. It gets me because I think his passes are the ones that look if, it, if a player attempts a difficult pass and they don't make a difficult pass. Okay. You know, the, the skill level required to make that pass was, you know, it was a challenging performance, but he tends to screw up passes sometimes that appear to be so textbook simple that it very much frustrates me. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. But look, I get it. Kay is a very good player. We are very blessed to have him. Uh, everything he does on and off the pitch is fantastic. I just wish the errant passes were more once in a while and less like every five minutes. Unless, I mean, and sometimes they're in the defensive third, so those are a little more difficult, so I get that. You know, if I was to be honest with him, like, I love everything he says. He wants to go to Europe. He's got to tidy up that just a little bit, and he's got to work on his finishing. He's got to get a little stronger putting those balls on the net when he's around that 18. And those were the two things I think he, you know, I don't want to say, like, criticism, but those are things that he could work on to get better. But when I look at the whole package of a player, we can talk about off-the-field stuff later, but just on the field, everything that he's done and the way that he, he's – I mean, box to box is so tough. I know it's such a cliche thing, but you know, he's, he's working up as an eight. So for him to come up and down and to just be there. And when, if it twists up and he comes in and wins the ball back, and then he's the one that provides that fire. Like he's the one that initially is coming in and knocking people down. And he's, if his teammate gets knocked down, he's the one coming in there barking at the other team. So like just all those little intangibles and stuff. And then in the end, when it comes down to it, I trust in Bob. So, you know, Kay has been the captain, like, uh, I'll defend him any day of the week. I think maybe some of the frustration could be that the potential is there and he just hasn't put a complete season together yet. He has really good games. He had solid games and then maybe untimely missed passes. And he is getting better. I know his goal is Europe and I think he's working towards that. But um, it's also tough when you have two other midfielders that are doing as well or sometimes better than him. So I'll tell you this, any MLS team would want him and he can start anywhere. So it's like a luxury to be criticizing him almost, right? Or, but he is, he is a really, really good player. He is a starter at this point. 
but I think he should start looking over his shoulder because there's some players that are going to start pushing him, and I hope he rises to the occasion because that just means that it's going to push our team to be even better than they were in the last few seasons. You know, something I forgot to mention at the beginning for the news and notes actually that involved Mark Anthony K was the Black Players for Change jersey that they're doing right now uh, with donation opportunities. If you guys haven't had an opportunity to look, LAFC had posted on their Instagram and social media pages, um, and I'm sure you can just type in Google Black Players for Change, and that right now what they're doing is uh, there is a limited edition kit for, I think, 12 different players in the MLS and it's an all blackout kit of, of the kits from last season. And uh, Mark Anthony K is one of the players uh, being represented uh, for the Black Players for Change or BPC. And uh, so if you guys are interested in, in trying to win that kit, you have to go onto their website and sign up. And it's free to sign up and things like that. And you just put your information in there and you automatically get entered in. And if you choose to want to get more opportunities to win, then you can make a donation to the foundation uh, and that'll give you more opportunities to win. I believe it is $1 per raffle entry ticket. If you wish to have multiple entries, your first entry is free and then $1. And uh, so they announced the initial free entry about a week ago. And I think we all signed up then. Um, And I'm definitely going to buy a few raffle tickets there as well too. And I really hope to get that Mac kit. That's an awesome looking kit. And I would really like to support that whole movement. And I really do love you, Mark Anthony K. All right. I don't hate you. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I, you, you, you honestly just do a prayer critique on the game. It's better to be honest. I know as a person, you put them down, put them down there. It's, it's a great game, um, so Yeah. Look, definitely. It's just frustrating. Many, many, many things that uh, he brings to the team that are very positive. Um, but it is our job to kind of tear apart the negative and the positive as well, too. That's that's kind of the burden of of uh, being in the media side of this stuff, I guess, as we are. Don't get us um, wrong, Janela. Well, I was going to say, don't get us wrong. Janela disappointed in that game hugely. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But it's okay. Um, yeah. Midfield is hard. That's a very, very difficult and thankless position for sure. Uh, requires uh, an amazing engine and um, they can do 90% of the game right. And we're still going to be, you know, sitting here picking apart that last 10%. Uh, so, all right. Okay. Maybe I need to lay off the guy a little. All right. Point taken. Point taken. <laughs> we are running a little long today, but thank you, sir, for joining us. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. We really, really been blessed to have you with us tonight. We do have one final question for you today, sir. You may or may not have seen this coming, but Al, what does shoulder to shoulder mean to you, sir? I thought about this. And um, ultimately, it comes down to respect, respect for others, respect for yourself, respect and diversity, the, you know, to go to the games and to put your arm around someone, to give them a high five, to come to a game and forget about life. But at the same time, ultimately respecting everyone that's there. I always felt welcoming, you know, you know, I know you're District 9 Ultra. Every time I gone to a tailgate or met them somewhere, I just always been so friendly and in every supporters group, you know, like shout out to the Tunnel Snakes who I sit next to now. Fully formed, and those battle memories are in front of me. And like, I can feel like there's the Empire Boys and Expos and Tigers that are all in front of me. Then there's you and the D9U, and then there's the Los Angeles Originalis who I met from the original day one, you know. And so, like, and then I mean, if I missed anyone, I'm sorry because you know it's growing and everything. And so it's just it's just respect. That's I think that's what it comes down to. We're out there, we're enjoying ourselves, we're having fun, and we're trying to be as respectful as possible. You might mess up sometimes, but it's important to have that dialogue. Sorry, shout out to Pride Republic. Can't forget them. Halftime meet up every five or seven minutes before the last half. You got to come and take that photo meet with them. And um, 
and just it just comes down to that and if it comes to a place where you feel welcome and comfortable and wanted and, and appreciated then you know you give what you take and to me that's that's what shoulder to shoulder is well thank you sir i appreciate hearing that never ceases to amaze me how many beautiful and yet different answers we get to that very same question amazing thing before we wrap up the show we did want to take a moment to send some positive vibes and our best well wishes to mauricio former guest of the show all around awesome and amazing person vice president of the 3252 district nine ultra and i don't think there's a person in the lafc community that hasn't met mo that has said you know, there's a stand-up guy and we know Mo is in the hospital right now with COVID and Mo, get a chance to listen to this brother. We're praying for you. We're rooting for you. Fight hard, man. And we hope to see you on the other side of this brother. But with that, that'll about wrap it up for us today. We are so thankful for Al for joining us. If you'd like to follow him again on Instagram, you can find him at coach Alexi, A-L-E-X-I uh, on Twitter. He K-S-I. is at Colt. Oh, excuse me. I'm so sorry. Finish. Finish with a K. On Twitter, at Culver City underscore Al. Uh, So uh, hopefully we get that one right, at least. Uh, Apologies. And of course, if you wish to follow Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, we are at LAFCS2S on all your social media platforms. If you, like Al, would like to be on the show, please reach out to us. Nothing makes us happier than to have fans on this show. We would prefer every single episode be members of the LAFC community. Instead, we got to go knocking down the doors of the front office to fill in those episodes between when you all reach out to us. But we would like nothing more than to hear more from the rest of y'all. So thank you so much, sir, for joining us tonight. On behalf of my co-host, Chris, Christian, myself, Jonathan, sound engineer, Wilton. Thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 83. Take us home, Sticks. Shoulder to shoulder. Together, this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay fly in that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy, about to drop her fifth. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.